Stardate 60725.6. The USS Protostar is fractured in time. In a sine wave format, Janeway will have to navigate her way through, and it'll ultimately be up to Rocktac to save the ship. This is the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Ah, hailing frequencies are open. Welcome back, Starfleet officers and officers in training, to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Uh, I am your regular host, Mike. Uh, I am joined by regular co-host, DK. Hello. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our little detour for the top 10 Trek movies last week. We are back to business as usual this week. Unfortunately, we have had a little bit of a mess around with guests and such, so you will have to put up with just the regular host and co-host here, just us two, but why not? We, uh, we've we done it before and we'll probably have to do it again, but uh, <laughs> yeah, having uh, some unfortunate situations this series with guests. So if you do happen to be listening to this podcast and you're a Trek fan who wants to talk Star Trek and you're reliable, please, then please do get in touch. We're looking for, for guests always to try and get new blood in, but but you know, please be reliable. Be, be yeah. able to be called upon and, and actually come and talk to us for like 90 to 90 minutes to two hours so yeah so yeah, yeah just the two of us you look, right, and you're a fan of the show you obviously know that it's a very relaxed atmosphere here so yeah, yeah. yeah please do we, we we do have such a blast when we do it and it would be great to talk to some of you uh guys and gals out there Absolutely, 100%. And uh, yeah, because we like talking track with people and we like talking to new people and getting to know their own preferences and stuff. So that would be nice. But anyway, uh, as I said, there was a little detour last week, but we're back to business as usual in terms of reviews this week. So we are back on the time travel themed stories. Uh, and this week, uh, we're going to be looking at Star Trek Prodigy, one of the newest series and the episode Time Amok. Haha, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> did you pick up on that, DK? You didn't, did you? You, you now think oh, what do you mean? Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. When when they first revealed the episode title, I groaned. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> I'm just a sucker for any of that. Bear in mind, this episode came yeah. immediately after first contact. <laughs> so, so, you know, <laughs> it's going to look great in comparison to that pun, isn't it? <laughs> So yeah, we're going to be looking at that Prodigy episode later, but you know, we, we do other bits and pieces here, so why the heck not? I just thought, we haven't really touched base for a little while, so as we always do, why not start the episode with a little bit of a chat, and our healing frequencies are open. Healing frequencies open, sir. So, DK, how are you, and what Trek have you been watching lately, not just for the podcast, but for fun? <laughs> Uh, we've been watching uh, Lower Decks uh, recently, right, which um, I'll, I'll I'll be I'll be completely honest with you. When it first started, I wasn't a convert straight away, but I've really just got into it now, and I look forward to it each week. I love it. <laughs> I think I was an immediate convert, but I think I'm controversially. I think it kind of dipped a little bit at the start of season two, but I do think this third season might be the strongest so far and uh, at time of recording the last episode was crisis point two so you know a show is confident when it's making sequels to its own episodes basically yes but, yeah, definitely. Well done. yeah yeah i mean awesome we, I, we i do watch the occasional episode occasional movie you know when the mood when the mood takes me but for regular viewing uh yeah it's been lower decks at the minute um i'm obviously just waiting for the new season of discovery and eventually picard yeah, well, we've got um, Prodigy starting, I think, this week at the time of recording, actually. 
uh, with the second half of season one, and then Discovery should be early next year, and Picard already has a date, but I can't remember it. I think it was February or March, but yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, I've got to be can't honest, like, I'm, not loving, uh, I'm not loving that Discovery's reduced the episode count to 10, supposedly to be in line with the other shows, because that sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's always a bad sign to me when... Uh when series start reducing episodes rather than adding to them. I mean, it's fine if they're wanting to create some kind of uniform thing, but sometimes they do have a tendency to give one reason while there being another in reality. And I, I actually love Discovery, so I'm, I'm hoping it's going to keep going. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, uh, a lot of the cast are saying, you know, that with no intention of stopping, but we'll wait and see how it goes. But uh, anyway, yeah, so... <clears throat> Do you have, by the way, a favourite episode so far out of the Lower Decks episodes? Oh, it's the one from a couple of weeks back. Uh, I can't remember the name. The one where uh, Boimler and Mariner are at the uh, Starfleet recruiting booths. Yeah, <laughs> I did like that one as well. I absolutely oh, love that one. Boimler loses it at the end. It, I was just <laughs> in tears of laughter. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I love it. I love all of it. But yeah, I probably would say the same episode. But uh, we were just talking about the last one that aired, again, at time of recording was Crisis Point 2. And uh, I remember I was saying to you, I got all excited when we saw Kirk's name on the mailbox. And I was like, there's no way they got Shatner. And yeah, they did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I saw the, the painted name on and I was like, they haven't. They haven't. <laughs> and then, oh, no, they haven't. <laughs> Not to worry. I mean, George Takei is still perfectly fine. <laughs> that was still pretty exciting. So, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you something. This is just apropos of nothing, but something I've noticed is how many people on the internet are utterly confused by the koala in the little bumper for Lower Decks as well. You know how they do the ship flying around the little delta for every series now? Yeah. And uh, on the Lower Decks one, there's like the koala in the nebula. Uh, as the ship goes past. If you haven't seen it, dude, look for it. But so many people on Twitter are just like, why is there some evil oh, teddy bear yeah, in the nebula I, on the... <laughs> yeah, I saw that today. And I, and, and, I, I mean, I noticed it several weeks ago, but then I yeah. started seeing the tweets today and I thought, well, that's not new, surely. It's not new. It's, it's always been there, but it's amazing how many people just haven't watched the series because it's like the fourth reference to the whole, you know... <laughs> Koala, with the whole universe is resting on the back of a koala. Why is he smiling? What does he know? <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely. It's, it's doubling down on that joke. I hope they keep going with it. You know? <laughs> uh, I do. I do love the fact that uh, I do love the fact that for the idents, they are using the ship from each series. Yes, because I was I did think when it because it started on Strange New Worlds, and I was like, oh, they're just going to use the Enterprise for it probably always, and nope. Lower Decks has the Cerritos, and it has the little sly Easter egg of the koala, so it'll probably be series-specific. We'll see when Prodigy comes out. It'll hopefully be the protostar. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, so as I say, we've been uh, keeping up with the track, but we don't tend to review things as they come out, because we like to give it a little bit of perspective and a bit of, to, bit of time to sit on them. But uh, yeah, we... Uh, we are dealing with kind of time travel stuff this series though so i did want to ask because i've been asking the guests and i've never actually had this conversation with you dk what are some of your favorite time travel episodes or movies in the trek universe uh well i mean we've we've uh, by by this point it will have aired uh it's always going to be sitting on the edge of forever for me uh yeah and you still only gave it 4.5 out of 5 <laughs> I 
I have my reasons, okay? Uh, <laughs> it's fair, it's fine. <laughs> there's uh, obviously uh, Trials and Tribulations, which we have coming up soon, hopefully. Mm. Uh, I do love Time's Arrow, and I did enjoy listening to your, uh, your episode on that, by the way. Uh, With Andy and Phil, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Trek 4, The Voyage Home. Always a classic the again. Something that, yeah, something <laughs> that we've got coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. And oh crikey, you'll you'll have to bear with me because, as the audience probably no doubt know, I have more Swiss cheese memory than a quantum leaper. But uh, the one with uh, the next generation one, there's there's two there's two next generation ones that are not times I wrote. The one where they're stuck in that time loop where they find Picard in the shuttle. And the Enterprise Time is squared. destroyed. We did talk about that yeah. in the uh, Times Arrow episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, the one with Matt Frewer as Berlinghoff Rasmussen, which I cannot remember the name of the episode, but I can remember Berlinghoff I... Rasmussen. <laughs> I think it's called A Matter of Time, <laughs> which, yeah, yeah, pretty generic, so that's probably why you don't remember it. I could, that could be wrong, yeah, by I mean, the way, not, but I believe that's what it's called. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not strictly a time travel episode, as it just deals with it is. You know, this shower. The ship comes from a different I, I, time. I do like it. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Frewer's always good value on any show that he turns up in or movie. So, yeah. And I Definitely. think at the time, wasn't he like Max Headroom? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've, yeah. I remember him from Max Headroom. Definitely. Yeah, same. Because <laughs> I'm just that old. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I actually thought that series was really good. It was it was fun when you were watching, you know, late night Friday night channel four and there's nothing else on. It's a very British thing to say, but yeah. Yeah. Blitverts. Yeah. Very, very I mean, this was before like Beavis and Butthead or any of that stuff that was similarly just sit and watch telly kind of rubbish, you know. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of my favorite time travel stuff. I like things you don't because I definitely like features end from Voyager, and I know you don't. So, yeah, so that's, that's I don't know. Like I yeah. said, it's it's the combination of. It's, I think when when Trek takes place in modern day and it works, you get something like the Voyage Home. But I just didn't get that same vibe from Future's End, and I I wasn't a big fan of the supporting cast. And it, I know it you're just, not a fan, yeah. Yeah, it just came across as it came across as very as very contrived to me. I love the, uh, I, I I do love the time travel episodes. I, again, my memory slips me, but when uh, uh, Cisco has to do the bootstrap paradox and become, you know, Bell uh, for the Bell riots, yeah, love that. Love uh, love future tense. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm 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 hmm. just grasping onto titles that I can barely remember right now. It, it, it's very. Well, you did review right? Future Tense in fairness, didn't you? So that's fine. Yeah, but you know, even that, it's a couple of weeks ago, mate, and you know what memory's like. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I did enjoy the concept of the temple Cold War, and when they first brought in Daniels, I was really yeah. it really piqued my interest. But it, you know, I didn't want to say anything with will being will being around because of spoilers but it it, yeah. it obviously it didn't end how i wanted it to end i could have no they could have done a lot better with that yeah see i was never that fond of it i found it quite hit or miss but in terms of time travel and that storyline i loved shockwave because i think that did something really clever with it 
um, and, and unexpected. And I know it's not really a popular period because it was Enterprise's first two seasons and nobody loves them, but I thought it was brilliant. So, <laughs> yeah. I've even got the yeah. novelization. That's how geeky I am. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, and um, not for nothing, but I also love Carpenter Street and not just because of the John Carpenter uh, tribute reference. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, who's in that one? Isn't it? Um, is it the actor Leland Orser who was on Voyager previously, I think, is in that episode? I could be wrong. <laughs> sure. I'm yeah. not sure. See, I, I, again, it's it wasn't that one. Oh, You'll have to forgive me again. That's Enterprise, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Carpenter Street was season three, so Jeffrey D. Morgan as a reptilian Zindi. Yes, as the Zindi reptilian, and I had no idea it was him for the longest time until I read it and was like, no, it's yeah. not. <laughs> that was See, a full-on Fleetwood as a fish moment. There. I can just remember random shit from the episodes. <laughs> understandable i think yeah i was my mind was blown though when i read that the title carpenter street was because it was trying to mimic a kind of john carpenter movie and i was like oh damn i love that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah and also special shout out to the not quite time travel episodes but i like them anyway like um enterprises north star or ds9's far beyond the stars which aren't technically time travel but you know (laughs) come on (laughs) <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, very good. Effort. I mean, far beyond the stars, especially. Yeah, for sure. Trek... Plus, that I mean, that might be time travel now that we know that Benny Russell's real, thanks to Strange New World. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think to considering it's not a, 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 a basis for the show itself, I think Star Trek has some of the best scripts based around time travel that you see in the genre. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't start out that way, mind. There's not a single good time travel episode in the original series, in my humble opinion, except City on the Edge of Forever. I, I caught myself, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, yes. Jesus, man. And, you know, I mean, I know of your your own personal love for Assignment Earth. and I, yeah, I Tomorrow is yesterday, Assignment Earth, all our yesterdays, dreadful. Every single one of them. <laughs> sorry, I'm just not a fan. But, no, yeah. that's And I mean, Next enough. Gen didn't start well, to be honest, even like Times Squared and stuff. It's like, no. I, Again, see, I'm not I, sure. I, actually, if, uh, I found the prospect but, of that really intriguing, I, you know. But I think with the first couple of seasons of that show, every, n- none of the episodes in those first couple of seasons kind of lived up to the potential. That's not true. Q Who is fantastic. It's an all timer, and I will not hear a word said against it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, that, you know, when you when you come up as far as you know, obviously the latest season of Picard. Hmm. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll potentially get into that later. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, and yeah, cause and effect deserves a mention because that's time travel. Uh, it, it's a loop. It's still traveling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plus, again, just kudos for the fact that they couldn't find a guest star or the guest star dropped out. And because they filmed on the Paramount lot, they just literally walked over to Cheers and were like, Kelsey Grammer, you'll do. He has a Starfleet uniform. <laughs> I didn't know that. Is that how he uh, he came to be? <laughs> That's literally how he got the part, yeah. Because it's a nothing oh. part. It's literally on the screen for a few seconds. And it was just that, I think, like I said, either the actor dropped out or they didn't really consider anything else. But because they they were literally next door, because it's all Paramount. And I think, yeah, they just walked over to the Cheers set and were like, Kelsey Grammer, you'll do. <laughs> you're the... That's oh how they got um, 
Baby, baby New Earth is in the episode First Contact as well, for I think similar yeah. reasons. They were just like, well, she's here, so why not? <laughs> just imagine if they weren't available, we ended up with a captain played by George Went or John Ratzenberger. <laughs> that would have been brilliant. How dare you? <laughs> Personally, I was holding out for Rhea Perlman. Hey, Picard, what oh have you done God. to my ship? <laughs> yeah. My God, there's a captain from Section 31, if ever there was one. <laughs> could have been worse. Could have been Woody Harrelson. <laughs> Let's just name the entire cast of GF. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple we've known. Yeah, let's get Shelley Long. <laughs> we could get Kirstie Alley in, but then that would just be Savick. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Let's not go there. Let's not, indeed. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she'll be starring in a director video movie with Kevin Sorbo and Scott Bale before long. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I will conclude that business there with that bit of nonsense. And uh, yeah, if uh, you are new here, I always say that, and we've been running for long enough. But if you do happen to be new here, uh, the next section that we do would always be the hit or miss section. Yeah. What about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. Yeah. So what we do here, basically, um, I pick. A number of things. We've got seven this week, uh, which whoever else is on the show has no idea about. Uh, and so this is the first time you'll be hearing them when we ask if they're a hit or a miss. Because it's only the two of us, obviously, I'm only asking DK, then giving my own opinion. Uh, but hopefully I've found a good mix of things. And uh, as is the norm for this series, I've got a couple of time travel stuff mixed in there as well. Um, so, yeah. Are you all ready for the hit or miss section then, DK? <laughs> yeah, go for it. But, you know, bear in mind, with my memory, you might have to give me the odd, the odd prod. So did you hear the latest uh, Hit or Miss podcast? Mike had an amnesiac on. It was weird. <laughs> Somebody broke down on air. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> that could be either one of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I picked the right thumbnail, by the way. If you're wondering why I picked the, the moment where Janeway sees Murph and just face palms. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Uh, right, so this is the first thing We're going to do seven because it's a shorter episode This is the first thing out of seven uh, That we have this week uh, So hit or miss For Star Trek Beyond Sorry, I had to I cannot hear the title okay, of that I'm movie Without immediately movie In the same light again now <laughs> Don't watch that, watch this It's the heavy, heavy Starfleet sound <laughs> I just I can't put a dumb title for a movie every time I hear it. I'm like Star Trek Beyond. Anyway, you see, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this, but Ooh, careful. <laughs> it's not my favorite Trek movie. I it gets a lot of praise, and obviously, coming you know after Into Darkness, it's obviously yeah. has m much better creative decisions than that. But I still thought it was kind of weak i don't think it delivered on the premise that the uh the first abrams movie gave us it's it's got some, I, am, I mean i'm waiting my turn <laughs> <laughs> it's got some i mean i love jailer uh mm. i'm not keen on the whole the enterprise being down thing i think it's to me it's tradition at this point though isn't it yeah but that's the thing. I was expect maybe I was expecting more. And although I love the, uh, you know, let's let's get the uh, is it the, was it the Beastie Boys again? Let's get the Beastie Boys up and running again. Which 
Yeah, which I, I, okay. yeah, it's it's fine for modern audiences, but when you look at it, that's like you know someone going into battle playing Bach. It's well, Picard did it, <laughs> but it, yeah, but you still was listening know. to friggin' Berlioz before he fought the Borg, man. <laughs> and the whole like little zero G brawl between Pine and Idris Elba at the end. I don't know. It just it seemed like they were just trying to, you know, I, I know everybody thinks Simon Pegg is the second coming and I'm sure he's a wonderful guy, but I think when I compare a script like this to obviously the stuff he did with uh, Nick Frost and, uh, oh God, I've forgotten the Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, that's it. I really need to go back to bed. Then, uh, yeah, I just... I just think it was a, it was good. It was enjoyable, but to me, I've enjoyed episodes of the TV show more than this. And this kind of just, it was kind of an episode of the TV show, but just given a slightly bigger budget, in my opinion, and with the exception of you know things Not like Jailer. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, I'm putting that into the same category. And, you know, forgive me, people out there, if you don't agree with me, but I'm putting it in the same category as things like Insurrection. I, yeah, I, I love Jayla. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hit for me. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't, there's nothing about oh, well, the movie. That, that was a long way around the houses of dissing something for yeah. a good 10 minutes before oh, going, on, mate. Yeah, but it's this, this, is us. <laughs> this is us. Every episode recently, we've had to go, we're not piling <laughs> on it. We actually like it. But yeah, I, I do, there's nothing I actively dislike about it. But if it was a choice between this and the 2009, the first installment, I would definitely go with the first installment. So it, it's a hit, but it's a very, very, very soft hit. Sorry, guys. There's no accounting for taste. I'm sorry. I, I would <laughs> I would much rather watch an extended episode of Star Trek than J.J. Abrams making a Star Wars movie with the Enterprise in. So personally, you know, I'm not a fan well, of Star Trek 09. But... I'm not a fan. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm kind of cold on the whole Abram stuff or what people started calling it this alternate original series, which oh. AOS will always be Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield. Uh, it's the Kelvin timeline. I have official merchandise yeah. that has it written on. Damn it! <laughs> exactly. It's. I mean, I hated. The, I mean, I I really hated the first movie when I first saw it, but it's grown on me to a point where I can put it on. It's an action movie. It's not my kind of Star Trek, but I can see how people would like it. It's just like, you know, I can see why people would love Star Trek Beyond. Less so with Into Darkness, because that was just batshit. But this, yeah, I can see why people would like it. But it's, it, this is not my Kirk. This is not my Spock. No, well, that's, I mean, that's understandable. But I will say then, just to kind of give a counter to that, I really love Star Trek Beyond, but I think it's because... I so don't like the Kelvin timeline that not only do I think this is the best out of those films, I actually think it's the only good one, personally, um, because I'm not a fan of 09, and like you said, even Into Darkness was just a mess. Uh, even though both have good ideas and both have you know things that I like in them, whether it be Starship designs, sorry, Will, or uh, various bits and pieces <laughs> and action sequences that can be really good if they're, if they're kept to a Star Trek-type thing, but... You know, it's just, like you say, Star Trek Beyond did maybe seem like an episode of the show, 
but I don't think that was a bad thing, especially when you're coming off the back of, you know, Star Trek slash Star Wars 09 and then Star Trek 2, the Wrath of Khan, the inferior version. It was a welcome relief to have an episode of Star Trek personally. <laughs> so I really like I thought it was good that what it did with the whole, uh, you know, somebody that uh, only can really exist in war and then what the Federation would mean to them. I thought that was an intriguing idea. Maybe they didn't do as much as they could have with it. Uh, again, don't love everything in the film. I think the, there's no need for a fucking motocross BMX bike sequence to happen in the middle yeah. of it. And the idea that Crawl, I, I love the idea, like I said, that he's like a person that can't exist outside of war. Don't love that he was a human that has to be mutated into this weird creature because there's no real reason for it. Just have him be the dude. <laughs> and then you actually get Idris Elba not under tons of latex as well, but whatever, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was fine with the Enterprise getting destroyed because it's it was an ugly design to start with. And the Enterprise A at the end of the movie is a much better design, even though it only appears for two minutes. And I frankly prefer the Franklin. Ah, <laughs> oh, frankly, the Franklin. Uh, which, again, it, it's basic, but I love that it has a bit of lineage from the NX-01, somewhere between that and the kind of Kelvin Enterprise. So yeah, I like that. But yeah, I'm not getting into just ship talk again because half of the audience <laughs> will glaze over. Yeah, Will's so like we'll, we'll just rage quit. <laughs> yeah, Will's just turned the episode off. They all look the bloody same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but no, so I really, I genuinely do like Star Trek Beyond. It was, I think it was criminal that it did so poorly at the likes of the box office and stuff, but eh. And uh, either way, we're both saying it's a hit, so we'll take no more time on that one. <laughs> yeah. That went on a bit too long. So, uh, yeah, two hits is still a, a positive. I'm going to take that, even though you basically said all the reasons you hate it and then said hit. <laughs> but never mind. <laughs> Let me see if I can find I'm keeping the audience guessing. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so the second thing on the hit or miss section for today, sorry, there's no more musical cues. It is simply hit or miss the... Prodigy Starfleet uniforms. Yes, that's right. We're bringing this back. We dealt with the lower decks ones. Now we're doing the Prodigy ones. <laughs> it omits. I do not like these uniforms. <laughs> I they they remind they they're kind of like the animated version to me of the motion picture uniforms. They're too tight, one piece, and they're not very flattering to whoever wears them. No. And when you think of some of the, you know, some of the crew, like particularly Rockta, bless her, who has to wear this thing. <laughs> and, you know, it's no more yeah. her. She's a giant rock creature. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But when you, I mean, um, you know, you surprised Dal doesn't turn around and look at Janeway Hologram and say, well, what about your uniform? That's kind of cool. What's this shit? Well, she changed into theirs, though, didn't she, in the end? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I know we we find we can generally find good in most of the uniforms because uh, mm. we had this discussion a couple of weeks back with Dom with regards to the Cerritos ones, and mm. yeah, and again, I mean, again, I I don't know, you know, if it's a different uniform because the Protostar is, you know, kind of its prototype and they wanted something special, yeah. but again, it throws another spanner yeah. into the works of. Just what is Starfleet doing with these uniforms? There must be one heck yeah. of a budget going down. <laughs> I can kind of see the lower decks explanation as, you know, why the uh, they have their uniform, but mm. you reach a point where 
there's that many uniforms in Starfleet for that many different branches and that many different, you know, classes of ship that it becomes meaningless to have any kind of Starfleet uniform in the first place. And yeah, yeah I, I, I get they're going for the animated, the, an animated look, but considering uh, a few episodes prior to this, they had the, uh, the Kobayashi Maru. So obviously, yeah. you know, you had little flashbacks to previous costumes and again, like I said, with the Janeway one, this just seems a very lackluster kind of ensemble to me. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. Like I, I was going to say, um, my head kind of explanation was originally that like, uh, or maybe these are like trainee uniforms, uh, similarly to how you have like different stuff, the Academy uniforms or Voyager even had the flight suit uniform for the Delta Flyer when they're racing and stuff. Um, but that kind of goes out the window when you realize that on the hollow recordings, Captain Chakotay is wearing the same one. So it's like, oh, so it is just literally every ship has its own freaking uniform at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in terms of the designs, though, I think you're right. It's probably one of the worst because it's just quite plain. And I feel bad saying that because I love Prodigy and I love the showrunners. I don't want to criticize their decisions. But yeah, I mean, what is that color, that weird blue gray thing? You know what I mean? It's just having said that, mind, I will say I prefer these to. The idea that they'd all just be in their civvies because when the show started i was like oh i just don't love that this looks like a bit generic kid show because they're not wearing and i'd rather them wear these than like nothing at, at all um so it's it's preferable in that way but again the it's, fact that they then show they show like admiral janeway in the all good things uniform and it's like we'll just yeah. use that yeah <laughs> it's, i don't know sometimes you get the impression that they're they're introducing new designs for the sake of introducing new designs and while i think it works with things like the ships when it comes to uniforms you can take it a little too far and you know these are definitely in my opinion a little too far uh i think i agree and i will say i like the prodigy com badge design but i just don't like that it exists because again it makes no sense because it's got no lineage to anything and it's not no. used anywhere else in the fleet so it's like well why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, it it just seems extravagant, and and like like I say, you know, you you just imagine some poor, you know, high ranking Starfleet official sat in a starbase somewhere, with his head in his hands, and his assistant walks in, and you know, what what's the matter, sir? We've got you know a resurgent Dominion in the Gamma Quadrant. They're going to be invading. We need a fleet of ships. Okay, can we do that? No, I'm sorry. We've blown our entire budget on uniforms. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's a concern considering they have replicators at this point, but yeah, certainly it's it's very yeah, weird because, but... like you said, the, the word uniform would imply uniformity, and there's actually none during this era because this is now like four uniforms that are in use in the same year. And it's like, come on, even back in the next-gen DS9 era, it was only two, and you could kind of wave it away, but now it's just stupid. You know, and plus, at least they used the same com badge back in the day. You know, and, yeah. Uh, I have to say, for me, not a fan. It just looks a bit drab. But I had a similar thought when it came to the season three Discovery uniforms because I don't love that color scheme, and I'm glad they changed them out for actual colorful ones. <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah, that's a fair that's a fair assessment. I mean, it, it took yeah. me a while to get used to the uh, the season one and two Discovery uniforms. I didn't I didn't jump oh, I at like that them. one straight away. I liked them immediately, but I also was confused because they don't. Again, they make no sense 
from for where they are, considering it's meant to be like after the cage. So you've got a somehow head cannon that they've got those sort of three division color type you know jumpers, and then all of a sudden they're, they're in enterprise jumpsuits for no reason, and it's like, oh my head, I can't deal with it. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I will say I, I don't hate these uniforms, but I will just say soft miss. And be uh, be gentle with it. I think at the moment. So, yeah, mine's mine's a solid mess. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so yeah, wow. Well, people that always complain if we're always too uh, you know generous or too nice about things. There you go. We both disliked something. Yeah, Are you happy we, now? <laughs> when we're not just fanboys for the sake of being fanboys, we do have our own minds. Exactly. Uh, Okay, let me move through. So the next thing on the list is time travel themed. As I said, I will throw a couple of those in there. Uh, and it is an episode. I'm dreading to think what's going to happen here, but we'll see. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it is an episode of Voyager, hit or miss the episode Relativity. I know we've done the ship, but this is the episode. <laughs> oh, God. You might have to, uh, yeah, you might have to give me a quick synopsis here. Relativity was the episode of season five where out of nowhere, the Federation timeship Relativity recruits seven of nine to go back in time because Braxton has got temporal craziness or something from all of the Futures End shenanigans of previous times. And he's trying to go back in time and blow up Voyager during its launch and various times. And so seven of nine has to go back and then get sent back again and then get sent and not get temporal sickness and then go back once more and it's it's a mess let's be honest it's oh, what it is i'll i'll be i'll be completely frank with you i've watched i think i've watched the entirety of voyager once and it, where it's about two years ago now and considering you know i can't really remember what i did last week it's some some things stand out to me some things don't i do think a rewatch is in order when it comes to this episode, I can't really say hit or miss with any definitive uh, nomenclature. However, right. with the exception, I think, of the fight, I did find most Voyager episodes a hit. So right. I can always... I think, we st I think, you know, with... I don't know what your approach to Star Trek is, but with my approach to Star Trek is, I can always, for the most part, suspend disbelief. So what a lot of people will consider a bad episode of Star Trek, to me, it's still Star Trek. So it beats 99% of anything else on TV. So, so that, but this yeah. one, honestly, it doesn't really stand out. I mean, I, I could cheat, I guess, and look it up now on Wikipedia and stuff like that. But again... I'm surprised because I would have thought it's, for better or worse, I would have thought it would be quite a standout episode because it's so different to the norm. And it's notable for being the one where we see not only Voyager in the, uh, the what is it, Utopia Planitia Yards before launching, but we also see Seven of Nine in Starfleet uniform without Borg implants, which was a shock for a lot of people, you know? So Yeah, I, I mean, I can remember vague bits of it, but as for the plot and, uh, you know, obviously I can remember the, the relativity of the ship because we discussed yeah. it a few episodes ago. And, yeah, I, uh, I kind of liked it, I believe. Although, you know, again, memory, I may be wrong. Uh, but, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I'm, I'm going to say a soft hit on the proviso that I do need to watch a lot of these Voyager episodes again. 
fair enough. Um, in which case, I may be the unpopular one then because I don't like this episode. I used to, when I first saw it when I was younger, I thought it was the coolest thing ever because it's so different and because it has like, I, my mind was blown at the idea of like, it's an actual Federation timeship and we're, we're in the 29th century or whatever. I'm seeing what life's like and seeing their uniforms and their ships and everything. But it just gets so stupid for me when they start hopping seven of nine through time to try to find this bomb on Voyager. And then, like I said, the fact that they have to reintegrate versions of her. And in the end, it's like, oh, we can't do this again because you'll get the time sickness and it'll kill you. And, you know, you have two versions of Seven of Nine, one that's just been freshly recruited and one that's about to die of brain scramblies, basically. <laughs> and it's just so, so stupid. And then the big reveal being, oh, the person planting the bomb is Captain Braxton, who's actually here on the ship but in the future will go too crazy because of the events and stuff. So it spits on Future's End, which is an episode I actually like. It makes no sense. It just becomes a, a ridiculous convoluted mess. And ultimately, it just doesn't seem to have a reason to exist. It's just like, well, as much as I love the design of the ship and the idea, as I've mentioned before, the idea of time travel, and I'd love to see even a show that's set at the time when Starfleet are starting to launch time ships. It could be a really cool idea, as long as they don't do something like this. <laughs> you know, Don't start doing the whole, we'll recruit her from there, but no, now we'll we'll go back to an earlier time and recruit her so that we don't do the, whatever gives her the messed up brain, and then we'll do another time, and then we'll reintegrate them. And then, no, just no, it's just stupid. <laughs> like, let it go. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, for me, I'm afraid it's a miss. <laughs> Well, that's fair enough. I mean, I, I could go back and watch it and think, holy shit, Mike's right. Uh, but as I, say, <laughs> I mean, I did like it a lot when I first saw it, but yeah, it's just, it didn't, it doesn't hold up for me. The next thing, uh, just, I have no idea why, but out of nowhere, hit or miss, Earth Space Dock from, uh, I think, Star Trek Three was its first appearance, and then obviously it's yes. seen in the other TOS movies and things. So, hit or miss. <laughs> it's a hit. I love this design. And I know we had, sure. you know, we had the the kind of upside down regular one in the motion picture, and mm -hmm. we didn't really see anything other than that than than the standard design in the original series, which we use, you know, as the template for K seven and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So when I saw that, oh, I love this. I love this design. I loved it when I first saw it, and I love it just as much now. I'm not sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. Haven't they like? added some elements to it for uh, in the trailer for the new season of Picard. Yeah, but in fairness, it's a, that's like, what, like nearly 200 years or so later. So Yeah, I mean, they, they, they've got still... the money's worth out of this, which is, you know, probably yeah. a good thing with the amount of spending on uniforms. But, yeah, I I <laughs> absolutely love this. That Yeah. The, the scene in Trek 3 where the Enterprise approaches Space Dock and Horner's soundtrack kicking in, love it i i i i became very proprietorial about it so that when it was then used in uh next generation i mm. kind of felt a little it put my nose out of joint for some reason when i saw the oh, enterprise I, I was so i was so excited to see the enterprise d where the refit had been and i was like oh wow cool yeah i, I mean no I, sense I, obviously become a lot less fanboy since then uh, and i don't get irate at the slightest thing but i think <laughs> it's just a great design and i i did up until recently uh i don't really have time for it but i did play a lot of star trek online and mm. when you approach earth and you dock at this space dock 
it, it does feel like home, but I got that impression from the movies anyway. It's yeah, I, I, I love the design and I, I love the way it's lit. I just think it's a, a, a beautiful piece of, uh, of, of shipbuilding. For the audio listeners, by the way, if you aren't familiar with the movies or anything, we're talking about the mushroom, as it's called, the design of the, yeah. the Earth space dock. But um, yeah, I will say it made a lot more sense using this in Next Generation than using the inexplicably gigantic regular one in The Measure of a Man, which is just dwarfing the oh, Enterprise gosh, yeah. D somehow. <laughs> oh, I've forgotten about that. Yeah, it's so annoying because, yeah, just such a daft But anyway... In terms of the space dock, um, apologies. This is going to be my uh, semi-regular shill. Yes, I do have the Eagle Moss model of it, and I love it. I was actually just going to ask. (laughs) Well, I can't be blamed for shilling for them or whatever now because they don't exist, so, you know. Someone out there is desperately, desperately trying to bring, you know, the inventory from Eagle Moss back, if only for the chance that they can sponsor this podcast <laughs> they're getting free publicity out of me i tell you yeah what. no <laughs> uh, it's amazing how well the model captures like exactly this and uh yeah obviously the stand has a little sort of ring that the bottom part slips into in a slightly phallic way <laughs> but uh it's just awesome it's it's pride of place i'll probably take a picture and put it up in the episode just so you can see the model anyway because you know branding um but yeah i just think it's such a good design and for some reason, I just much prefer it to any other, like maybe not regular one, which I'm also really fond of. But I think this is head and shoulders above the terrible Cardassian design of DS9 or bits of these, or the attempt at Starfleet headquarters in Discovery during its first season, which is just like a big spire. And it's like, what are you doing? But um, then, obviously, in the second season, when they went on their cannon repair tour, you could clearly see that the outline of the newly built uh, Starbase one is this mushroom shape. And I was like, yay, <laughs> correcting your errors. <laughs> but yeah, I just love it. I think it looks great. As you said, the way it's lit, the way it looks and everything, the way that the it's it's got to be huge because only the little top doors fit in the spaceships and the sense of scale and everything. So I love it yeah. as well. I think it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so that's two pretty mega hits for that one. Uh, let me move to... Is it your favourite designer space station, by the way, or are you it secretly is. a... Terok Norfan. <laughs> oh, it's nice. It, it grew on me while I watched it, but it will always be the mushroom for me. You know, Vian's never coming back on now we've criticized Cardassian architecture. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this next one is another time travel themed one and another potentially controversial one. This is going to spark some discussion and potentially some raised voices from me, if nothing else. Hit or miss. The Agnes Jurati Borg Queen. Ugh, I could barely get the words out. DK, take us away. Oh. <laughs> I love the Borg. I love, love, love Agnes Jurati. The Agnes Jurati Borg Queen, however, just looks stupid. <laughs> I, just, I oh, when you look at oh god, I I love that. I, I I mean, I'm not I'm not going into the plot in here. Spoilers for especially oh, I will. Have, <laughs> oh dear god. Uh, uh, 
I mean, we've we've had this discussion prior to this. Uh, you know, what for you is a plot hole, for me is an opportunity, that kind of thing. So from that aspect, I can live with it. I know and I can I can feel your heckles raising from here. From that aspect, I can live with it. I do uh like the concept. However, I just really? think the design. Yeah, honestly, honestly, I, I mean, you're it, perfectly fine that... with the fact that this this race of indestructible cyborgs that have subverted the will of billions, if not trillions, of countless people are suddenly under the thrall of some young woman who's just like, no, nope, not letting you take me over. I've got my own will now. Like, what the? Oh! <laughs> yeah, but in all fairness, mate, he's, he's Agnes Girati. I'd be the same in the face. I... Of... In no, I do no. I'm not buying that. I'm not. I'm not having it. She's uh, just a woman. All she, to say to me, all she had to say to me is "Mister," and I'd be like, "Yeah, I'm putty." Uh, <laughs> no, I, I kind of, I kind of like the fact that it leaves it open. And I, 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 I again, I know we disagree on that with regards to uh, plot contrivances, and you know. Holes that you can drive the crater through, but <laughs> I, I I do like it, and as a as, and as a fan of the extended canon and uh, and the books, I do think there's a tremendous opportunity there. It would be nice to see them explore it, obviously, until something else on screen comes along and kicks that into touch. But it would be, uh, it, I think, it's a great opportunity to explore further, or even if you know, fingers crossed, they ever do uh, a spin-off series from Picard. I'm hoping personally for a you know, I would love to see a Seven and Raffi spin-off. But I, I do like that concept, and I know we fundamentally disagree on that point. Oh, yeah. However, when it comes to the design, whatever you think of Annie Wershing's portrayal as, as opposed to Alice Krieg or anybody else that played the Borg Queen, you oh. at least still kept that kind of essential design, that essential look. It might have been tweaked, yeah. but you instantly recognise that as the Borg Queen. And as much as I love the concept of Gerati as the Borg Queen, I cannot get past that look. There's, yeah, I, I can take the concept seriously, but when she stood there on the bridge with that... with No, that look, it just does not... I mean, I'm not saying yeah, I should I, go in finding, yeah. finding the Borg Queen to turn on, but... I don't know that you're supposed to do very... that in first contact, aren't you? So I don't think that's well, yeah. that unreasonable to expect it just a little looks bit very of very low budget this version. And that's it's... what I don't like about it. And I'm thinking you've had that essential Borg Queen design for most of this season. Hmm. Why have you thrown that away? In a well, you know I think we know why. <laughs> I was just yeah. getting to that. I think it's it's one of those situations where the design is unfortunately a slave to bad writing. Because the idea of, first of all, you have to have something which can completely disguise her identity because you're playing it like some big reveal, which is stupid to start with. Uh, and also makes no sense because, again, Girati was on that ship at the same time at the start of the yeah. season. <sighs> but never mind. So, yeah, there's that. that You kind of have to have something where it can be completely covered in black with a hood, which the Queen has never had before. No. Again, completely <laughs> nonsense. Yeah, I mean... From the from the word go, it, it just signposts that this is yeah. someone that you're instantly familiar with. And at that point, any kind of reveal is essentially pointless because you've already been, by the time it is revealed to be Girati, 
you've already pretty much guessed. Oh, I mean, the, I, it, it, it's basically signposted <laughs> from episode four. The moment she gets yeah. infected with the nanoprobes and stuff, you're like, well, then we know who it is. It's well, no yeah, but, but, at, but at that point, you are expecting, you know, oh, it can't be that obvious. Surely there's got to be some kind of twist. Yeah, there isn't. The it was. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the writing on that part let it down. But in the very first episode, when a ball queen turns up and she looks nothing like any ball queen you've seen before, and yet yeah. she's got some kind of Tron face mask on. Yeah. Your first instinct is this is somebody that we know. And you exactly. shouldn't have that. It would have been better to not have the Borg Queen appear on the bridge in the first place and have her well, just, you know, especially on considering, I mean, you double down on the ridiculousness because then the whole kind of crux of the season is. Picard activates the auto-destruct because he doesn't trust the Queen and she tries to play the music to be like, you can't trust me. And it's just like, just open your fucking mask if yeah. you're worried about him trusting yeah. you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I mean, I did think that was a a misstep and I, I did think they could have done that a lot better. I yeah. don't, but yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult because again, like many things of Star Trek, there are aspects of it that I love there are aspects of it that I just think, come on. And, and going back to the go back to the design thing, I think it also sucks because they kind of have to do this stupid mealy-mouthed half measure of, well, she's going to be assimilated, but we still have to make sure that she looks likable and human and relatable and nice. And it's just like, no, because that isn't the bloody Borg. You've just admitted your own fault. So instead of looking like a cyborg, she just looks like Alison Pill in a weird goth, gown and then yeah. some terrible cgi on top of her head it's just it's not the borg at all <laughs> yeah oh, I mean, as i say i mean i know we fundamentally disagree on the on the concept i love the concept yeah. you don't that's fair enough i just i can't i, think, I can't get over it now. <laughs> yeah i think uh, that is that for me is a hit the actual design of the queen and the way she was introduced is a miss. Yeah. I think on balance, I'm going to, I'm going to myself, I'm going to have to say a soft hit because it's more of the potential for me that I like. And I know that's probably a bit hypocritical when I went back to, I think it was last year when we were talking about the, the, the Navarre. Mm. It, uh, it, it's the same kind of thing. It's a it's a provisional hit. It's not <laughs> <laughs> for me. It's a provisional hit, but it's on the proviso that I would like to see more. And I don't mean see more as in having everything explained, having the entire history. It just would be nice to be maybe picked up. But it's obviously not going to be picked up on because she's not signed on for season three. So unless there is going to be some kind of spin off. Or unless they are going to put it in some kind of extended canon in a novel form did, or comic. She form. did wear a mask, in fairness. So, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I don't know. It, it's a hit on the idea of where it could be taken because to me the Borg had become kind of stale, and I, and oh, unlike no, you, no, I was, no, no, I was no. no, 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 no. <laughs> I was. Nope. I honestly, I was happy with the way that they kind of put a full stop to it at the end of the Destiny trilogy. Because at that point, I think... 
They're Every sentence much- that you say, you could just cut to the meme of me and then just, and Mike took that personally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I just liked it because I think, yeah, you've taken it kind of as far as you can. I don't think that's true in, in, at all. I, I, I do. I mean, they, they when, you, when you look at it, they gave us a decent episode in Enterprise. But even that had its share of detractors because, yeah, although it was atmospheric, well, yeah, although it had some scare point, it's just rehashing what we've seen before. That I was more just inexplicable what, in terms of, I mean, why on earth would a 24th century race that gives the Federation trouble there be defeated by a 20th? That, that, from initial idea, that was flawed because it's just stupid. But that's the point. I mean, you can only go so far with an idea. And this is, I think, what a lot of people have problem people have with any particular race, be it the Klingons, the Romulans. I mean, as, as I said last episode, I, I you didn't like the Ferengi. Uh, the 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 you know the exploring of the and the doubling down on the capitalist culture, and it was an you know, I think you get to a point where you think, all right, enough with the Klingon stuff. Nah, don't get me wrong. I think I think you're making excuses for bad writing. If you're no. a good enough writer, you can work within the lines and you can make that really work without having Maybe. to completely alter something. <laughs> Maybe I mean I I. Personally, and I'm I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this. I have never found the Romulans that interesting, other than say, you know, other than original series to next generation series. By the time it came to you know things like Nemesis, I was just so done with the Romulans. And we are on completely different pages because I think the Romulans. Even the Klingons and especially the Borg really only began to fall apart, fall apart for me when they changed what they fundamentally are because they were just bad writers and they couldn't work within the lines. And so it was like when they introduced the Remans to the Romulans and they're completely different, it, it destroyed the point. And when they're yeah. having this, yeah, the idea of fair enough, I actually love that Klingons had a little bit of evolution between TOS and TNG. You know, they weren't just bad guys, they evolved a little bit. But then when Discovery came out and, again, just did a complete redesign of them and completely changed what they were about, and then in the second season immediately backtracked because nobody liked that and were like, no, no, don't worry, we'll fix it. We'll make them back to canon again. What are you doing? Just stick with what you've got. It's perfectly fine, you know? And this just, yeah. The thing that I have with, in my opinion, you can overuse a concept and you can overuse it to... Absurdum. I know you're a Doctor Who. I'm a fan of Doctor Who. As much, and you know, as much as I love Sasha Duan's portrayal of the Master, I would have been perfectly happy for that final two parter of Capaldi to have been the end of the Master as a concept. I think if you stretch out a concept enough, it becomes less and less and less interesting over time. You can throw new things at it, but eventually it's gonna it's going to become convoluted to a point when I mean, none of it at what, at what point do you do you back off from that though? Because if that's the case, then why are we still making Star Trek? 
it, it, it's the same central idea. And if it, taking your logic to its natural extreme, it's just like, well, I don't want to watch it because the ideas played out. And yet the most popular of yeah. the modern shows is Strange New Worlds, which goes back to exactly what it was supposed to be from the start and doesn't yes. veer wildly off course. <laughs> However, look at your reaction to that Gone episode. Yeah, because they changed it. <laughs> that no, was exactly my point. Is, Just stick to what you no, know. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm saying is you get to a point where you change things so radically in order to make them interesting, like the Remans. Where the you can't tell the me the Gorn thing... weren't plenty interesting to start with. They appeared twice in like 50 years. That was just change for the sake of change. There's no reason why they couldn't have worked within what we had. What they well, did there was watch Alien not. and think, oh, we want to make our own version of that. And it's it's terrible writing. But if you if you look at things such as the Klingon, such as the Romulans, obviously people are thinking we need to introduce some new elements to this. Hence, yeah, you end oops. up with the Remans. And I, I I, just think it, it's... I mean, we're big <laughs> comic book fans. As much as I love, you know, as uh, some people prefer Peter Parker, some people prefer Miles Morales. I'm obviously digressing a little here. But I think if you get a concept, you do have a tendency to run it, you know, especially when it's a shared universe, people do have a tendency sometimes to run a concept into the ground. And the only way of reviving that concept at that point is by introducing new elements. Are but you seriously trying to tell me that like that they every attempt to revitalize Superman or Batman or Spider-Man has been hugely successful? Because no, everybody rails against it. And there's a reason these no. characters are operating within established lines for 90 odd years. Because they are. But when you just but when you get to a point where you've got three jokers, you need yeah. you, you know, at some point, you're going to have to step back and think, we're maybe over-egging this pudding a little. But you're, that's to my point, though. You're kind of proving my point, which is just stay with what you know and what you've got. Like, you hate Batman v Superman because it's not those characters. And your logic isn't, well, you know, we've done as much as we can with those characters, so let's explore Snyder's take on them or whatever. It's just, no, because at that point, it's not those characters anymore. So why? <laughs> because I, I, like, I like the stories that have a definitive ending. And if, yeah. say, the Master is dealt with once and for all and doesn't appear, in essence, to me, he remains that classic character, he or she remains that classic character that's had a fantastic streak, and then you move on to another concept. I mean, it was never going to happen because, as I say, we're in, a, in the extended canon. But to me, the Borg in the novels were dealt with because at that point, every single novel was dealing with the Borg. And you yeah. just think, this is stupid now. Janeway's taken over by the Borg. She's like, you know. and No, that was dumb. I didn't like it at all. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, so yeah. When, when you have a strong concept, I do like the idea of them putting a definitive end to well, that that's concept. That's contradictory to what you're saying about the Borg, though, because what they've done is completely alter what they are so that they can carry a story on that has nothing to do with what they are. At their core, do you know what I mean? No, if it I'm, wasn't I'm stuff it under like, it, fair enough. Like, if I, you'd asked me, then, do they, I like end game? Then, yes, have that be an end point, have them be destroyed. End of, don't then go, no, it turns out these guys aren't actually all that bad, we're just going to turn them good, which is stupid. It's contrary to everything they are. It doesn't well, make sense. That's a fair, that's a fair enough assessment. And if, if it were, if they were going to leave it at end game, I would have been perfectly happy by that. But you know, yeah. for a fact 
that with a concept as strong as the Borg, they're going to throw them up eventually. But you just said it wasn't that strong. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, well, it, it, you just to, said it had, to me, it had worn out. So it, it is worn out. So they've they have introduced this thing, this this new concept. And so why not create something new? Why why alter something? I'd, I'd, I'd have been perfectly happy for them to do that. Perfectly yeah. happy for them to do that. But it was inevitable because the you know it was like we'll never bring the Klingons back. You know that's never going to happen. They're going to bring the mm. Borg back because, you know, let's be honest, when it came to things like Next Generation, people would much rather see the Borg than they would the Ferengi. Or, I mean, they were know, only in four stories of Next Gen, though. People forget that. Do you know what I mean? They made an impact, but that's four stories out of, what, like 177 episodes or something. So Yeah, but people are automatically going to go back, to, you know, and this is this is reinforcing your point that, it depends on the writers. People yeah. are going to go back to a well that's proven successful before, even if they end up pissing in that well. Yeah. And it was only, a, a, you know, nobody with regards to the production of modern Trek, I would imagine that nobody even gave one scintilla of thought that the Borg, you know, would finally dealt an end in a, in a, in a novel form. When they thought, well, no, if we well. bring the Borg back, that's going to be much more impactful. But it it it, it does away with it. I would, yeah. It, it it was inevitable that they were going to be brought back. I didn't like that they were going to be brought back because it immediately. Oh, and that's that's not what I'm saying. My issue is that, like I said, you fundamentally changed everything about them to create this dumb character idea because you just you can't. Tell me it's it's fine and people are volunteering for this. Again, it comes back to the Unimatrix Zero thing of, oh, people are now volunteering to get horribly mangled and mutilated. And again, if they're not linked to a collective consciousness, then they're not the Borg in that sense either. They're just a bunch of horribly mutilated no. people hanging out on a ship together. Do you know what I mean? It's it's nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see your point with that. I do, I do like the idea that it could, that it does have the potential because it is something that you can explore further and maybe reconcile. I don't like how don't they were brought back in the first place, but I can kind of dig with the concept that, yes, uh, I don't want to get into it because we'll be here all night, but, you know, basically no, know, there are now two collectives out have, there, essentially. Even you have to admit, though, yeah, that's the kind of stupid part, is that because they can't commit to it, because it would make no sense and completely alter the show, they don't even commit to the fact that they're fundamentally changed. It's just, oh, these are just a second collective consciousness, which again is nonsense because if they're a collective consciousness, who's volunteering for that? Nobody wants their yeah. free will removed. Do you yeah. know what yeah. I mean? Have you seen the GOP? Come on, dude. <laughs> that's different. That's cultism. That's, <laughs> you know, that's not That's not like I'm volunteering to link to a computer for all eternity. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, we'd be here all night, but yeah, for me, yes. Miss, for you, I think tentative hit is, is as fair. A as tentative hit, yeah. In, in the proviso that somebody would, you know, it, they do kind of explore the potential and not just kind of hand wave it away and say, yeah, the bog is still there and, you know, introduce it again and again and again. It'll be interesting to see because I think they've basically scuppered themselves because I can't see a satisfactory way that they can really explore this now. But either yeah. way, uh, we'll move on. So the next thing on the list today, we do have more, two more. Uh, and this is kind of related to the space docky thing because I wanted to do a different version. So hit or miss the Starfleet headquarters from the 3190s. 
So Discovery season three onwards, basically. Take it away. <laughs> this is a strange one. Uh... No, that's Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> I like I, I do like the design. Uh I'm not so sure about it being piloted as a ship. Well, multiple ships. It splits yeah. into different yeah, escape, uh, things. Uh that's I don't know. It's <laughs> that's weird. I like one that could... yeah. Wow. Yeah, I like it, but it doesn't instill that sense of home that the mushroom does. It seems very mm, clinical, very okay. sterile. Even even when it was in the sort of weird protective field in season three, you didn't feel a sense of, at the very least, like security, maybe, of protection. But it was kind of a base under siege version of security, which, I mean, obviously, essentially, it's yeah. kind of what it was. Uh, mm. But, yeah, it never felt... It, it, it did. It felt like a military encampment at that point to me more than than home. Right. So See, I think I think there's good story reason for it not to feel like home because the point is it's a federation where Earth is oh, no yeah. longer a member. So it's kind of the fact that it is basically like I said, and I wasn't fond of the design when it was just there and it was in a shield and we're hiding because that's not very Starfleet. And I don't particularly love the design anyway because it's just basic and kind of weird, whatever it is. But the, the selling point for me was at the end of season four, when you found out that far from being just this weird design that we were going to hide somewhere, it splits into multiple things. And the idea of a federation under attack that's on the dwindle, having this like transportable, pilotable, multiple ship escapes, escape pods type of version of a, a headquarters, I think is genius. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I could have been with a better You design. are a huge Power Rangers fan. So that kind of <laughs> shit is right in your wheelhouse anyway. <laughs> that wasn't the reason with you. Yeah, you, you, you don't want to admit it, but deep down, it's there. Uh, yeah, I... I, no, I, I no, because at I least the Megazords all look nice when they're combined. This looks crap, yeah, frankly. This one looks like an office <laughs> toy. Uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of like it. It's, I don't dislike it. It's, hmm. it's a soft hit for me. It's, it's I think nice. I would say the same thing, but for different reasons, which is so weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would, I would like to see more of it, and I would like to hmm. see more of it other than a, a few meeting rooms. You know. It yeah. Well, nice. that's probably a budget thing, to be honest, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, if, if if you could see more of it as you did in you know the mushroom in Trek Three, hmm. it, it it would be it, it would be nice. I mean, is it any is it in any fit state after last season to to come back well, together? Yeah, presumably, presumably it can because, like I said, that that's part of I thought what the whole point was is that it's maybe had to move before and instead of being this immobile huge thing, like, for example, when they had to move DS9 to the wormhole and it was basically just everyone hold on tight, we could just end up blowing ourselves up to move, like, three inches or whatever. This thing you can you can actually move, you know, it moves about. But um, yeah. And I just love that it, it has its own little registry plaque and everything, you know, because if it was, like, a, a ship yeah. that combines into a base, you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I do like it. <laughs> As a, you know, as a soft hit, like you said, it's probably yeah. both for very different reasons, but yeah. Yeah. So you'd say soft hit if it stays as one thing, and I'm saying soft no, hit. No, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's a soft hit in general, 
you know. And... Yeah, I think we both we both kind of like it. I don't think anybody dislikes yeah. it. Um, no. It maybe could have done better, but I just love that end of season four moment and of seeing Tilly and uh, dude from the Mummy piloting it. <laughs> yeah, I do Admiral like. Vance, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I do like the the kind of the the evolution that the Federation style wise has gone through. In those uh, intervening years, it's yeah because it does it look like some of the ship designs. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, soft hits from both of us. I should really have included Archer Space Dock, which is a lot more traditional uh, as well. But I yeah, think so another day maybe. <laughs> uh, we'll get to the last one before the entire audience falls asleep. Uh, so <laughs> this is probably not going to take very long. In fairness, the last hit or miss for today is hit or miss. It's a character uh, from lower decks. Jennifer Shreyan. Hit or miss? Hit. Okay. <clears throat> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> is that all you're going to give us? Well, Why is she a hit? Uh, well, without trying to be too base, she's an Andorian woman, and I've got to think for those. <laughs> However, if I'm going to give more of a technical answer, I like that they fleshed her out, and I was worried... That uh, her and Mariner were going to go their separate ways. I, I I figured they were going to go for that angle, and I was pleasantly mm. surprised that uh, that they didn't. They took it in the opposite direction. I think she's a decent yeah. character, and I would like to uh, I I would like to see more of her as part of a yeah. you know a regular regular cast member. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm I'm going to say the same. A hit uh, for the reason that. I liked the one joke idea of, haha, it's an alien with a very human name when she was just called Jennifer before we had the surname or anything. I found yeah. it amusing. But as you say, that would have been amusing and fight on its own. But then to run with that and actually make an established and, and decent character out of that initial joke, which again is my kind of humor all over. <laughs> you know? Haha, <laughs> alien called Jen. But anyway, so yeah, to, to then use that character to give more of a fleshed out character to Mariner as well, who had previously been, I think, portrayed very much as, oh, when are her and Boimler going to get together? And to actually develop that into, well, she's not necessarily just into guys and she's not necessarily into Boimler even and she might be looking elsewhere. And even the idea that they started out seeming like mortal enemies, but it was that kind of pulling pigtails in the playground thing, as it turns out, yeah. and maybe they just liked each other, you know, is an intriguing angle. And, uh, just the character is is funny whenever she appears or charming. And I love Lauren Lapkus, who does the voice. Uh, <laughs> always thought she was a great comedian, thought she was good in even the Big Bang Theory, uh, despite being one a good thing in, you know, some occasional bits of crap. <laughs> so, yeah, I just think I'm, I'm with you. I hope she appears more. I hope we get more character development. And uh, I've seen very good cosplays and stuff of her as well. So, yeah, great job. <laughs> Definitely. So, yeah, I think we're both going to say hit for Jennifer. Not before time, we will move on to the episode review and we will begin our analysis. analysis. Ah, DK, we're here to review Prodigy, yeah. believe it or not. <laughs> so, I know. I so hopefully we'll we'll get through it quite quickly. It's a short episode uh, that we're reviewing, yeah. so that's fine. Uh, awesome. Right. So, uh, yeah, we're here to review, uh, as we mentioned, the Star Trek Prodigy episode, Time Amok. Uh, quite a short one. I think it's only, what, 22 minutes or something like most episodes of Prodigy, so there won't be too much to talk about. Uh, and 
on that note, I do have a tiny behind the scenes section, as in literally one thing, because I looked up and with it being a newer episode and, uh, you know, not being a lot to say about it, all I could find was this. So I'm not going to bother playing music or acting like it's some kind of big deal. I will just say that, um, as we mentioned up top, the star date for this episode is 607125.6. If you think that star date looks really unusual, it does. There's a reason for that. According to the producer Aaron Waltke, it is the first hint that time's being distorted, uh, namely that hologram Janeway's temporal settings are already being affected, as she's the one doing the log, uh, by the approaching tachyon storm, something which she observes later in the episode. So if you are railing about the fact that it's a six-digit star date and it shouldn't be, it's actually for a reason. So, yeah. So uh, we're just going to, I'm just going to hit the episode piece by piece because I don't really bother with it being social. I didn't really bother with sections or anything. So I'll just hit some key points and we'll probably talk back and forth, DK, and... Uh, you know, trying to keep it as short as we can, shorter than the eight is probably. So, uh, yeah, we open with Jamie's log, as I mentioned. And a, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but we open with that log and a gorgeous shot of the protostar, which is a very good ship design, and I love the way it's animated. Uh, that's, you know, not specific to this episode, but it's worth seeing. Uh, and I just love that, again... This is so recognizably Janeway that even just the little moments of giving a log like, oh, because of the disastrous first contact last week, the whole crew's morale is low and they have to learn that falling down is easy, but it's the getting up that's hard. And I love that, like I said, it's Janeway's character absolutely in a nutshell in a lot of ways. It's continuity from the previous week because they just dealt with, as mentioned, the disastrous first contact and uh, with Dal meeting the Ferengi woman that is his adoptive mother who would pop up later in the episode to essentially sell them out to the diviner as well so yeah, yeah appreciate a little bit of continuity i don't always have to have it but a little bit i think uh, especially in a show like this which seems to have an intriguing mystery going i appreciate it what about you dk yeah i uh I, I do like that little thread that's running through and obviously you know you've got that that larger art with the diviner and dreadnought and uh yeah it's nice to have it, it touched upon it does it, it does kind of, you know, make it feel like it's related back to the universe as a whole and it's not just a series of bottle episodes. Yeah, not that there's anything wrong with standalone episodes, and I think this probably is the closest that Prodigy gets, but I do think Kudos has to go to the writers for fitting the ongoing plot into this. So the idea of the way they used Dreadnought as kind of yet another obstacle along with all of the time distortions yeah. and things, um, and, and the fact that it was they seemed to hint that maybe that was why the vehicle replicator didn't work because he was holding it up in a different kind of timeline or time fracture or whatever with creating the second yeah. version of himself, which again is a head trip to think of just as an idea as well. <laughs> you know? So yeah. I'm, 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 I've got to give kudos to the writers. They've managed to fit in, in such a short space of time. So oh, yeah. much. Yeah, 100%. It does not feel like it's as short as it is in the best of ways. Not like, oh, this is dragging on, but just like, as you say, when you sit down and look at what happened in the episode, you're like, such a lot fit in there. And I don't think anything's particularly short-changed necessarily either. No. I mean, we could have sat with things for longer, but I think they have just the same level of impact uh, as if they didn't. And, you know, for today's generation of uh, <laughs> short attention spans, it's probably a better way to introduce them to Star Trek, maybe. Yeah, so, yeah. Definitely. That's cool. And yeah, speaking of, of Star Trek and the trekkiness of it all, um, I always love these kind of stories about crews coming together and the fact that they use the familiar chicken, fox and the grain crossing the river type riddle. Um, it's such a cool like idea because it is, we understand it culturally as like the only way you're going to figure this out is working together. 
you know, you put your heads together, work it out, and they almost like each have a piece of the puzzle. I think it's zero that chimes in with the, the key point of like, well, there's nothing to say we can't bring another thing back with us. And if they'd listened and kind of, you know, pooled their intelligence and their uh, ingenuity, they probably would have come up with something. So it's a great shorthand way of seeing like, these people, they're not quite on the same level, but if they were just a crew, they could do so much, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I love the fact that we have, again, slight continuity, but this ongoing thing that they kind of want Rocktack to be the security officer because she's basically a giant prick creature. You know, she's the thing from the Fantastic Four. <laughs> so that's naturally <laughs> what, you know, that's naturally what they assume she'd be good for. And I think that that's an interesting without it getting too preachy or even really getting into it, I think that's an interesting exploration of prejudice and bigotry in that they basically take one look at her physical appearance and pigeonhole her into what she should be. And I love that this episode explains her basically saying, no, I don't want to be that. Just because you think it's what I'm suited for, I want to find my own path. And I just adore that idea. Um, what do you think? Do you think I'm, I'm reading too much into that? Or is that... No, no. Uh, yeah, I think that... Uh... And I'm not sure if if they were kind of thinking that maybe the audience was kind of having that feeling towards her as well. You know what mm. I mean? So they wanted to not just for the because obviously you see a big you know in 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 essence you see the big rock rock creature in any kind of media and your mind automatically leaps to one thing and the fact that I think that they give a you know quite a lot of diverse training in this to make her much more than she is i think not only uh is it a you know a comment on the crew around her but on the audience itself and i think it's kind of feeding into that never judge a book by its cover vibe that you hmm. uh, that is integral to track yeah 100 percent. and i think they'd already kind of subverted that with the idea that before they kind of got the translator working you just heard this gruff sort of rough sounding voice. And then when you actually heard Rocktack realize it's effectively, it's just a little girl, which again is like yeah. mind blowing because it looks like this terrifying rock creature and in actual fact, just a scared little girl. But, but then you kind of ask yeah. yourself, you examine your own prejudices and think, well, why, why not? <laughs> no reason exactly. why it couldn't just exactly. be, you know? <laughs> um, so I kind of love that. And I love that about this character. And like I said, the fact that she, despite kind of coming across a little bit sometimes as, meek she's actually willing to stand up for herself which again is a nice subversion when she's like look i don't want to do this you know stop trying to make it a thing i'm not going to be the security chief so yeah yeah um, i will say the first time i watched this i was truly shocked that even though we're only eight episodes in they've done the reveal that they're not actually starfleet cadets and they've stolen the ship because i expected that to be a much longer runner uh, that they were going to go with so when that kind of gets resolved here and then I was like, oh, dang, what's going to happen? And Hologram Janeway is basically, nah, I don't care. You know, <laughs> whatever yeah. you are, you're still my crew, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, you know, later on, after after they've solved the problem. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll get to that for sure, because I just adore that as well. So, But, yeah, I just love that, because part of me was like, well, how would Hologram Janeway's programming react? How would Starfleet react? And I don't want this to become a thing where... You know, a, a lazier writer might be like, and now they're on the run from Starfleet as well, and maybe they've got to reprogram what they kind of do in in a way at the end of the season, reprogram Janeway to evil and immorality. And yet, I think it is very Starfleet and very in Janeway's yeah. character to say, you know, okay, you're not a bunch of Starfleet cadets or whatever, and you may have stolen the ship, but 
you seem nice and you've clearly just lost little kids and it's still my duty, my programming, whatever, to mentor you. So, you know, as long as you're a crew and you're on this ship, I will look after you. And I was like, that's just such a beautiful, without even seeing it, it's such a beautiful sentiment of, yeah, okay, fair enough. At least you've come clean now. And it's not about being, you know, part of this military complex or whatever. It's just being a crew, as as, as the episode makes clear. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, without trying to cast Starfleet as the bad guy, you kind of don't want him to make it back to, well, I don't anyway. You kind of don't want him to automatically <laughs> make it back to Starfleet because, you know, for the simple fact is if Starfleet accepts them, that, you know, that inevitably they might be broken up and, you know, go to the academy and be stationed on different ships. Mm. I think that's going to be interesting what they explore in the new episodes for the, the back half of season one. Because obviously, again, yeah. spoiler alert, when we introduce the real Janeway chasing them down on, you know, a much bigger and more powerful ship, I think that is that interesting exploration of like, well, if you want to be Starfleet, stop and let them catch you. But necessarily, will that be the case? It doesn't seem that way. So is yeah. there a degree, as you said, of like, well, we kind of like where we are. But then... You have to kind of ask yourself the question: Do you deserve to have this ship? In that case, it's you did steal yeah. it, you know. Ultimately, so yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, they stole it from the thieves, basically. So, well, is it, I mean, while, while a morally grey area, it's you, yeah. you, you're going in a kind of Robin Hood territory. So maybe they'll look at it from that aspect. Oh yeah, and I'm sure stuff it would, and I'm less less ambiguous about them getting back there because I I think I'd like the idea. But again, I like the fact that the crew aren't uniform in that. That some of them are bitter about like, well, is it um, what's his name? Is it Jankum? It's like, well, we could have went to Starfleet and it would have been nice, but now we've got no chance because you've told her the truth. And Dal's like, ah, oh, maybe Starfleet aren't all that and yeah. whatever else. And I was like, I love that they're not even necessarily in agreement about that because it's nice to have something where there's a bit of depth and not just. Okay, we'll all fall in line, you know. So, uh, and even the little tussle over like it's, who actually it's is just the like this podcast, mate. We're a team, even though we <laughs> disagree most of the time. We we'll always be a crew, even during disagreements. I assure you. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm never mad or anything, but yeah, it's the same with those guys. I think, in a way, I think that also fits into something that I was seeing in the episode with Vian again, which is like. One of the things we loved about Voyager is that sense of family. And sometimes families argue and squabble, you know? And it was one of the things that I didn't Definitely. like about G, you know. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that it, it leads me. I mean, last week we looked at DS9. And while it's one of my favourite shows, I think the fact that it was just... It was so cynical. It just really didn't help my viewer track, especially right now with everything that's going on. Mm. So to watch this today, it's it's been like a, a breath of fresh air. I mean, it gives you genius. I, I watched it on the scene to end. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I will say counter to that, I think it also goes against Gene's vision in the negative part because people act like that's like some unifying monolith of an idea that's like um we must follow it. But yet Gene Roddenberry is the one that kind of output the idea certainly in next generation that like there's no conflict between members of the crew we just can't have it you can, they can have external conflict but none within them and it's like that's not how people work and you can act no. like they're going to be so enlightened in the future and they are you know what i mean they're not really vile or evil people but there'll still be disagreements and like i said if you're supposed to be getting this idea that they're a family they're gonna squabble it's what families oh, gosh, do <laughs> so again i appreciate that the prodigy goes there and kind of 
doesn't shy away from that, but also admits that we are, we can disagree and we can have these things and still come together in the end, you know, which again seems yeah. very soft. <laughs> but yeah. Um awesome. What was I gonna say? So yeah, just apropos of nothing but just a little directorial touch. It may be a little bit too on the nose, but I actually love the fact that when you cut to scenes of the diviner. Um, and Dreadnought, all of the scene is just bathed in dark red light. Like if yeah. you didn't know these were the bad guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, uh, it, it, it's, it's not ambiguous about it, is it? No, no. But then again, I mean, it is at its heart, it is kind of a kid show. It's on Nickelodeon and children tuning in about this message about like, well, don't judge people by their cover. Don't be bigoted. You know, you kind of need a very shorthand way of saying, but mind when we say these guys are bad, we mean bad. <laughs> yeah. so it's kind of an unambiguous like all right i get you <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> the next thing i have noted is just a line that i really loved because we've mentioned already i like comedians when they voice the characters so i already love that jason manzukas is jank and pog but i love when the, the sort of oh, temporal God. nebula thing or whatever attacks and uh his, his line is just Jankum was afraid it's a physical manifestation of how he feels yeah, I've got that written down as my notes. I think that that is a fantastic line. The writers in this are really good. So good. Because you would know thinks of these things and then you just think that's simultaneously giving you a lot of character, progressing the story, and funny. <laughs> so it was, yeah. it was like, I mean, he gets another line later on. It's not as kind of, uh, I don't think you could call it profound, but later on when they all come back and, and, and he says... Well, Jank and Pog distinctly remembers being dead. Dead, yeah. Were we dead? Jankum distinctly remembers <laughs> being dead. Yeah, exactly. Like, what does that even mean? But it's funny. Yeah. And again, if you've got a comedian, I mean, it may well have even been ad-libbed. Who knows? But uh, yeah, just cool. No, as I was saying, the idea that, um, you know, it, they kind of get away with the techno bubble stuff, but the idea that the anomaly damages the proto drive, which we've kind of just learned about, and, uh, you know, it'll effectively blow up the ship which is a very cause and effect next generation or, or many other time travel episodes idea of like oh dear it's already blown up what do we do and then um a little bit of the voyager episode shattered when it's like hologram janeway go into these different times i thought the uh where the the hologram janeway when she uh when she when she split i thought that was quite a good effect it really is yeah i love that yeah 100 percent. and then uh it's um it's, it's good because I think they explain, again, as you said, in such a little amount of time, they explain the science idea of it really quickly and effectively that, okay, the ship's in different time periods. It works like a sine wave, which is an actual scientific thing. You, you could tell me that. I wouldn't know one way or the other, but I've heard it is. So well done, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I, I um, did like the effect yeah, also of uh, when it went to the different crew members following that sine wave. It reminded me very much of the the little dream sequence in uh, Voyage Home when mm. uh, yes. they initially head back to time. Deliberate, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I made the same note, and I think that was deliberately an homage to that when they start doing the heads kind of tilting back in the time tunnel thing. Definitely. Yeah. Janeway kind of explains to the audience, well, because time's moving differently. And she already says it where Rock is, 10 minutes could seem like an eternity, but it's not enough time elsewhere to repair the ship. So she has to kind of, they have to work together, split across these different things, which again is just such brilliantly economical storytelling that I just love it so much. Yeah. I do like Rock's initial uh, reaction 
to Janeway telling her what she needs to do as well. And I think most people, oh. when they're feeling a little out of the depth, would act like that. Especially young girls. I think it's it really devastated me emotionally because I just felt so much for her. And again, I have to say kudos to Riley Alazraki. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, by the way, um, who is just quite a young girl as a voice actress and yet gives the performance of a lifetime in this episode. Oh, and again, this is such a little subtle moment, but I do love that Zero basically says as well, I wish I could tell everybody what they mean to me. And I'm like, oh, do it then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, um, the only thing I wasn't keen on is, is Dal. I think they're this far into the future. Surely they're not still playing Snake. <laughs> well, I mean, he did grow up, didn't he, like for the longest time on like this mining colony as a type prisoner. So, you know, if it's, if it's not breaking rocks, it probably seems advanced to him. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's funny. And again, I just love it. It's such a cheap gag and such a quick moment, but I love that they have the spare minute to like when she's trying to find out which crew member she's with, and then she comes to Murph, and he's just like eating something and vomited up, and that's when you get this cool face palm, like oh it's yeah, Murph. oh no, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, Jane, we are comparing it to Apollo thirteen as well. Genius, a little bit of education for the kids in there as well, you know. Yeah, it, it, I, I seriously, how they managed to fit so much into the, the, the pace of what is it 25, 22? I think it's like 22 minutes, yeah. It's, uh, I, I just think it's they really are. I mean, you, you people talk about script writers and writing rooms and, you know, what you can do with a limited amount. And my goodness, the writers on this show, oh, yeah. it's just, they're knocking it out of the park. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure how you felt, but when, when, when it came out and it was, a, you know, it's a, it's a kid's show. I, when I put that first episode on, I was very kind of reluctant. You know, I thought mm. I'm not going to like this, but it's just, it's blown me away. It's it's such a good show. Yeah. It is. And I was the same. I, I was a victim of that kind of prejudice because I took one look at the designs and was like, oh, it's just turned it into a typical Nickelodeon kid show. And yet it is, as soon as I'd watched these, well, I don't even know how many episodes it took, but certainly after this 10, I've said it before and I will continue to say it, it is my favorite of the current Star Trek shows. It is the most Star Trek one out of all of them. And I just love it so much. I can't wait for the next ten, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do looking for as, as I say after after the episode that we looked at last time, which I thought I was going to love, and didn't. And so when I came to this, I put it on, and I really just wasn't in the mood. And mm. I'll I'll be honest with you, for the first few minutes, I do, I was thinking, this is going to be hard work, and. Mm. I think 10 minutes later, I was just completely hooked, loving it. It, it, it yeah. does feel like such a, a breath of fresh air because, yeah, I mean, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love all the, the, the current shows, mm. but Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, even to some extent Strange New Worlds, they all have this air of kind of cynicism about them to some extent. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's true of Lower Decks, but I do think – as much as I do like Discovery, it was very much a victim of that, certainly when it started. I think it's getting better. But yeah, and, and Picard has just never, for me, improved the idea of just like Starfleet or scum and we must rail against them. And it's just like, 
talking about missing the point, but hopefully the third season rectifies that, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you you genuinely watch this show and come away with a feeling of optimism. And mm. I'm really mm. hoping that they kind of stick with that going forwards, no matter how bad things get, because I think that's this show's greatest selling point. And obviously they're yes. not going to make it dour and pole face for the kids. <laughs> but I think if they keep that essential, you know, never let it get taken over by, you know, this kind of maudlin thing that seems to have kind of interspersed. And I mean, maybe just maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just what I'm picking up on recently. But I just I just love that there doesn't seem to be any of that. Everything you, you do get from these characters and essentially yourself, a sense of awe. And I'm not sure if yeah. it's because of the way things look in animation, it's so vibrant and colourful. And, you know, just from that opening credit sequence, it's beautiful and everything looks so just good enough to eat, if you know what I mean. And then you couple (laughs) it with that Giacchino intro music. And I I love, there's not one Star Trek theme that I don't love. And, you know, hand on heart, (laughs) I do adore Enterprise before anybody says, yeah, I love it. But this... (laughs) Every time it gets my blood pumping, I love yeah. it. Love this theme music. That intro sequence is just a thing of beauty. The fact that it's the the proto star through space, which would look gorgeous enough, but then it uses like silhouettes of the characters that it's flying through and everything, and it's just like it's so ingenious and it looks so good. And again, yeah, and I feel is- so bad thinking the animation style of the characters was a bit like oh, it's gone very Nickelodeon because in motion and in context, they are. Gorgeous, they work yeah. really well. And I mean, you know, towards the end of that sequence, yeah. I mean, I've tried to get it as my uh, my avatar, but where, where the protestar starts cutting that wave, oh, mm-hmm. yep, yeah. it's just, oh, it's a thing of beauty. Sometimes I think it is as basic as just like keeping design lineage and, and keeping to Star Trek familiar designs and even like you said little things like the fact that hologram Janeway is in the Voyager uniform you know they could have made it the first contact the era darker one or one of the prodigy ones they eventually end up using but I think that brightness kind of does help and you know I feel bad if that means we're not going to have it going forward we have the new one fair enough it certainly won't be you know a deal breaker for the rest of the show but I think that bit of color really does help you it does I mean don't get me wrong I do respect the latter uh, the DS9 uh, uniforms with the grey shoulder pads, but I much prefer the next-gen Voyager uniform type things. I like that there's a bit of colour, and when they started dulling it down in place of military greys, and yeah, it, it kind of it lost it a bit with with for me. I think that's yeah, what, might be why I like the Cerritos uniform so much. Yeah, well, same, yeah, similar. Um... Yeah, I do also, as I said, this is just going to keep on seeming like a praise fest. But I love, again, the economical storytelling of, is it Zero that basically cobbles together the warp matrix, but then finds out um, they've got the wrong coupler? And uh, yeah. they just kind of, they, they're kind of destitute and like, oh, we, we really messed up. And Jamie's like, no, you didn't. You added a piece to the puzzle, which, again, is just perfect use of a character who's not defeatist and who's, again, it would be entirely her nature to be like, nope, you didn't mess up. You've done good. We've got another piece of the puzzle and we'll keep going. We'll soldier on, you know, because, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I just think it's it's a great episode. Yeah. Um, and I will say when the next part when um, Dreadnought 2, as we'll call him, has basically been replicated and attacks Gwyn on the bridge. And um, you get a reference to, they remember that Gwyn should recognize him from the... Uh, 
audio log, sort of the visual log, sorry, thing of the, it was him that attacked Captain Chakotay and stuff. And I love that they remembered that. <laughs> but yeah, oh, and again, but having said that, you were saying like, oh, part of the, the kind of strength is the optimism and all that. But at the same time, it gets away with sometimes being quite dark because it's not all it is. So I was genuinely kind of hurt for Gwyn when Dreadnought says, you have to learn something about your father. You are his greatest failure. And I was like, oh, imagine hearing that. That yeah. would be devastating. You know, you found your family and then you find your yeah. real family are just like, uh. <laughs> yeah. I do like uh, I do like the way that he was disposed of, though, going all uh, yeah. aliens about it. Yeah. But I also love that, again, in terms of the storytelling, she accidentally basically blows out the Matrix along with him, the warp Matrix, and it's kind of like, oh, no. And by this yeah. point, you're so invested that you're like, no, what have you done? <laughs> but uh yeah again the, the next parts just really the end of the episode parts but i'm just going to end up probably coming close to tears because again it breaks my heart that you cut back to rock alone and she kind of says good night to everybody that's not really there and she has a yeah. little cuddly version of murph reminisces and kind of uh, just you know as i said by this point we know by the line you know 10 minutes could feel like an eternity we know that she could have been there who knows how long and then you cut to the fact that Gwyn has had to leave the log to ask for her help. And I've got the whole thing written down because it is next level quality writing and performing yeah. by um, Ella Purnell as well as uh, as Gwyn. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Um, so yeah, it's just, hey Rock, how are you? I don't have much time, so I'll get right to it. I'm sorry we all push you to be security officer. I've been told what to do and who to, who to be my whole life too. I know you're young. You're capable of so much. I want you to be the best at whatever you want. But to have that chance, I need for you to pay close attention. I attached files with schematics to build a warp matrix and where to find the right dilithium coupler. I tried to do it, but things got complicated. So it's up to you. I know you can do it. The crew believes in you. Oh, that's yeah. so good. <laughs> and I do like the fact that, yeah. you know, she, she took that and then just no matter how long it took, she turned it into just learning whatever she needed to. You yep, love it. 100%. As soon as she kind of, as well as, as soon as the kind of rock comes to action and starts doing things, they play the kind of Star Trek theme motif in the music. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you didn't even need it, but you know how to get me there. <laughs> <laughs> and then again, it's such a little thing, but I do love that she brings back Hologram Janeway and says it's took her 276 tries, which again, reinforces just how long she's probably been at this. But yeah. I, again, find it I find it really devastating, and I don't even think I'm supposed to, when Janeway's like, well, look at you. Look how well you've done. You've created this entire thing. You've got the right couple of what did you need me for? And I just feel devastated when she replies, well, nobody told me where it goes. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, what? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> you know, just well, that last you know, minute. Then, <laughs> yeah, and then later on when she says, how long was she alone? And, she, and you know, she says, too long. Too long. Oh, I, that gets me every time. That and yeah. the fact that, like, she even there's an earlier point where she says, "I wish I could hug everyone," and then when they do kind of reconnect the ship or whatever else, they all start hugging her. And hologram Janeway, who obviously can't, just looks on and goes, "There's that hug you wanted." Oh, yeah. floods <laughs> of tears, you know, just like no, 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 no. And uh, I won't say the line that I love because it's my favorite line of the episode, but it's a brilliant kind of last line from Janeway as well. So. And again, like you said, the, the idea of how long was she alone too long and the fact that she's coming to her own, but you're still left feeling devastated for this character. And, uh, you know, you could have ended it there. 
but it's kind of cool that they even end in the Terminator thing with the like the wrecked up head of Dreadnought, like the red light just coming back on. Like, oh, there's still danger, (laughs) you know. I was like, I I shouldn't really like that, but I do because it's so cool, you know. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. So, any other thoughts before I get to the favorite character moment in life? No, mate, that's that's we've pretty much covered everything I wanted to say. Yeah, fair enough, cool. Um, yeah, so who was your favourite character in this episode then? You see, no, I know it should be Rock, but I'm not gonna <laughs> not gonna say Rock because I know, at least I'm I think I know that it's gonna be your favourite character. <laughs> and I'm gonna have to give it to and I'm gonna have to give it to Jankum. I mean, oh, this okay. uh, as far as I'm aware, I, I mean my mem- memory notwithstanding, it's the first episode we've looked at Prodigy. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, obviously, like I said, when when the show began as a character, I thought I'd hate him, but now nah, I would vote for Jankum every single time. Never thought <laughs> I'd love a Tellarite character so much, but hands down, Jankum's thrilled him. you picked him. <laughs> He's my favourite. Even that, that, I mean, the whole talking in the third person thing should be terrible, but because it's a good performer doing it. And because it's in a show that kind of leans into that, I love it. I find it charming. Like I said, you find exactly. yourself going around going, oh, Jankum, Jankum does this. Jankum yeah. Does that. Like, yeah, it's good. It just works. When he, when, um, when he first started, yeah. I thought, I am going to hate this MFA. And then <laughs> I think, by, by episode two, I was thinking, I love this guy. See, I, I was already sold. I read the casting and I've seen both The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I was like, character played by Jason Matsukas. I'm gonna love them, <laughs> and I was right. <laughs> I remember him from. I, I've never watched Brooklyn oh, Nine Nine. I couldn't take to it, but uh, I love him in the good place. You know me as well as you think you do, because my favorite character is exactly Rock Tuck. <laughs> because <laughs> it's her moment, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. But I thought that would be too obvious, and I have to. You know, as I say, it's the first episode of Prodigy we looked at, so I've got to get my Jankum love in there. <laughs> Jankum's grateful. (laughs) (laughs) What was your favourite moment of the episode? Uh, Well, switching gears, this one is Rock. Uh, That scene uh, where she's in the dorm saying goodnight to everyone, that's when it really just hits you and you really start to feel for her. Yeah, definitely. Um, I couldn't really come up with anything better. So even though it's very basic, I just said the fact of the victorious conclusion was my favorite moment. Oh, fair enough. Nice. <laughs> so there we go. Um, and yeah, what was your favorite line of the episode? Uh, I think you've already covered it, actually. But it's uh, the one between... Uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. Janeway <coughs> and Dal. Uh you added oh. a piece to the puzzle. It may not be finished, but you're all in this together. And Dal says, what happens next? And Janeway says, we trust each other. I thought that was zero, but okay, <laughs> if you're telling me was it's it? Dal. Well, I think it was, because I could, I could very much be wrong. But yeah, again, it's it's now at time of recording <laughs> days since I watched it. But either yeah. way, it's a great line and a great moment. So yeah, fully agree with you. Um, it, it, my favourite line, I, this isn't my favourite line, but I... Uh, yeah. Oh well. Fair enough. <laughs> this isn't my favorite line, but I forgot to mention. I actually love, <coughs> love the fact that, um, of Jane we saying to Rock's Rock Tack, "Look at you, kid. You have an age, but you've certainly matured." <laughs> you know, which is so good. Yeah. Um, but my actual favorite line, which I didn't mention earlier, is definitely, um, "You may not think you're a crew, but you sure look like one." 
Oh, come on. Just perfect trekkiness and the fact that it's Janeway delivering that line. Oh, yeah. chef's kiss. <laughs> well, yeah, um, I, I did always put out the tweet as per usual to say, what did you think of this episode? I tried. And as I've mentioned in the past, it's always feast or famine with this. So I only have three responses to this. I don't know if it's just because people might not have Paramount Plus to have seen the episode or people just didn't really have strong feelings or, you know, maybe they're just not very responsive. But Eh, we we have what we have. So this is the audience interaction section, or as I call it, subspace communications. Incoming transmission. And uh, we will start with um, at M. Louise P. or Spoopy Lou, uh, who simply says, I love Prodigy. Can't disagree with that. <laughs> so there we are. Uh, <laughs> at uh, Alex J. Harmon says, I liked how RockTac was able to have enough time to teach herself quantum physics and other stuff. To which I replied, but how long was she alone? He then replied, it's hard to tell, really. And I replied back, the answer is too long. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally, at Trek fan Rick, good old Rick Everson, who's always coming through for us, just says, it is brilliant indeed. I think Prodigy started with a strong five episodes that set a lot of it up. The second five just went way beyond. Time Amok is incredible. Some beautiful twists on the time loop idea. Every episode is a strong character piece, too. Again, can't disagree with any part of that. <laughs> so there we go. And that sadly is all we have from the audience. But again, I mentioned it on Twitter and I'll see it here. If you haven't seen this episode, if you are reluctant to watch Prodigy because you think oh, Nickelodeon kid stuff or you maybe don't think you like the new stuff or whatever, give it a go and maybe just start with this episode as well. Yeah, because I think this is the strongest of a strong season. So yeah, yeah. really good. Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, all that remains then is to give our conclusion and our score out of five Starfleet Deltas. DK, did you want to go first? Uh, yeah, go for it. I, I don't have that much to say this time. Uh, a fantastic episode that in the space of 25 minutes presents the viewers of the classic Trek-style problem. It also deserves praise for both making it open to younger viewers and simultaneously not condescending to them. That it manages to pack an emotional punch on top of this is a testament to the writing staff on this show. As time travel episodes go, it may not be up there with the best of them just yet, but give it time. Yeah. As personally, I think <laughs> I, rank, I think it ranks alongside many of the live-action classics with ease. And in a decade's time, I guarantee that this will be looked back on fondly as a truly great episode of the franchise, and I've given it four out of five. Ooh, okay, fair enough. What what did you find lacking enough just to, to not give it that start? Not that I'm complaining, by the way. I'm just curious what you, what you would... Uh... Yeah, what you would say was a negative because we've just praised it endlessly. <laughs> we, we have, but on on, it's going to be a minor bugbear. It's just a personal thing, and considering how much they managed to pack into the episode, it seems like a slightly churlish thing. But honestly, I could have watched another thirty minutes of this mm, easily. I see, and and it's just when when something is so good, so good, just to see it cut short, even if it were a two-parter. That would have been a, a nice little little thing for me. I could have I could have happily dealt with the consequences and the plot lines of this for another thirty minutes. And so, as I say, it seems a little churlish, but I can't quite give it a perfect score simply because of that. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, well, I'll give my conclusion and score now. Then uh, this is proof conclusive that all those who write off New Trek as shallow, against Gene's vision, or similar either haven't watched it all or are just willfully stupid. This is the finest encapsulation of this franchise in a long time. It fits more action, storytelling, character, growth, and heart into 25 minutes than should be possible, and does it better than many shows with three times the runtime. 
It's an acting tour de force, especially from the trifecta of Mulgrew, Purnell, and Alazraki. Uh, it continues the intriguing ongoing plot lines while still being a, a, a time that's dedicated to seeing our ragtag band finally become a crew. Uh, it looks gorgeous, moves briskly, but never feels like it misses anything. was thoroughly entertaining, and it made me quite emotional. I think it's top-tier Star Trek. And I actually gave it five out of five. Ooh. Which, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think the audience are probably thinking, yeah, you give everything five at this point. <laughs> yeah. You see, I, 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 I judge mine on a scale, and I think the only thing that I've ever given a five is Wrath of Khan. You did give a five to uh, Tony Paper Moon, I think. So. <laughs> well, oh, well. Yeah, but you know that's that's got Vic Fontaine in it. That that's extraneous circumstance. Did you also give a five to the visitor as well? I don't think I did. Fair I'll enough. have to look back on that, but I'm, I don't think I did. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, so it's... obviously there's just two of us, so it should be easy to work out the average between uh, four and five. Who just do these complex maths and uh, oh yeah, it turns out <laughs> that makes that makes the final score for the podcast four point five or four and a half out of five. So definitely not bad at all for Prodigy, uh, an ep- a series that again is only ten episodes old and is pumping out a four point five out of five episode. You know, got to yeah. be good. So awesome, definitely uh, right. Ah, DK, we're do- we're done. We've done it. We made it. <laughs> yes. As always, a pleasure. It's great to uh, parry with you, even when I can't remember half of the stuff that we're parrying about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and again, for anybody listening, if you feel like joining in uh, and thinking, well, that just sounds like two guys sat around in a bar getting drunk and arguing. That's precisely what it is. <laughs> so if you want to join in, please let us know. Uh, and you're more than welcome. We're, we're, we're looking for people to talk Trek. And if that that is you then by all means get in touch absolutely and if you have any thoughts about this episode and you want to post on our social medias all the links are always in the outro and in the descriptions uh, let's get talking about star trek we you know there's too much negativity and too much uh, ignorance and stuff let's talk about things we like let's talk about things we dislike if we're able to do it like myself and dk just showed we were able to stay civil have a disagreement and we're still friends so it can happen <laughs> so you know i mean i, I am gonna let his tires down after this but other than that yeah it's <laughs> Oh, well. So, yeah, um, as I said, we will be back for more shenanigans uh, of this type next week. Uh, I believe, DK, you are going to be doing that one without me, potentially. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it, well, potentially. Uh, yes. Next uh, next week, we will be looking at the classic Deep Space Nine Trials and Tribulations. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait. If Whether I'm on that one or not, I can't wait to hear it back. So that should be uh, thoroughly entertaining. So yeah, stick around for the remainder of this uh, time travel season. We do have another three episodes left and uh, we will conclude with a movie as usual. So, you know, I think you can probably guess what it is. Time travel based, you know, <laughs> and we've already done first contact. So <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, so yeah, all, uh, all I'll have to say now is again, thanks again, DK. Uh, do join us. Apologies if you've had to sit through a long, a long arduous uh, bit of Trek arguing to get here. But do remember, at the end of the day, we are a crew. Live long and prosper. <laughs> Live long and prosper. You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. 
Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash Timeless Journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Twitter at HomeTrack, on Instagram at HomeStarTrekPodcast, or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.